Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week on the show, live from Michigan UFO Con with Nick Redfern. That was really the kind of the start of it all when U.S. intelligence sort of started to get their head around, wow, you know, there are real UFOs up there, but there's a possibility using like psychological warfare and disinformation that the Russians are now using this real phenomenon as a means to kickstart communism within the UFO field, which was important because at that time I said it was a huge movement. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Spread. Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague. I recently attended the Michigan UFO Con in Houghton Lake, Michigan. It was honestly one of the best experiences of my life. I met some of the most amazing people over the weekend and made some awesome new friends. One of those friends turned colleague was Nick Redford. You've heard him on the show in the past, but this was personally my first time meeting him face to face. And I had the opportunity to sit down with him for an in-depth discussion about his new book, Flying Saucers from the Kremlin. The book is a study of how and why Russian intelligence used the UFO phenomenon as a means to try to create fear, hysteria, and paranoia in the United States and beyond. From the Roswell crash and MJ-12 documents to Area 51 and the contactees of yesteryear, were and are UFO researchers being monitored by foreign and domestic intelligence agencies? And how far does the manipulation and meddling truly go with the UFO topic and beyond in today's internet age? We dig deep into how and why Russia used the UFO phenomenon and keen interest in it as an advantageous weapon of belief. It's all here in our Michigan UFO Con sit-down with Nick Redfern. All right, guys, Ryan Sprague here once again for Somewhere in the Skies, coming to you live from the Michigan UFO Contact event. And with me right now is a gentleman that I have been dying to meet for years now. And finally, it's happened. That is Nick Redfern. Nick, how's it going, brother? Hey, Ryan. It's good. Thanks. Having a good time. Yeah, it's been pretty cool so far. I didn't know what to expect coming here, but I saw that you had spoken at this event last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, I saw you on the list this year with a couple other people that I've been dying to meet. So uh, this is a big one for me. Well, that's good. I mean, it's a good conference because 
you know, it's well organised, which is always a, you know, sort of a, an important thing when you go to these events. Right. But also, there's a good variation of subjects. It's not like everybody's doing similar stuff, you know. And I think, particularly for the audience, that's a good thing. You know, they, um, they get a lecture on hoaxing and photographs. Somebody else is doing a historical case. You know, somebody's talking about this or that. And I think that kind of keeps people um, intrigued, you know, and um, sort of uh, just they're going to keep on listening because there's so many different things that people are talking about. So, uh, yeah, it's it's, uh, always good and uh, it's a nice venue. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's uh, beautiful. Out in Lake Michigan we're in, Mm -hmm. right on the water. It's a perfect setting for... uh, any UFO sighting, I would say. Right. <laughs> you bring up a good point, though, the variation of mm-hmm. topics discussed within ufology here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have people who are talking from MUFON. You have people who are here talking strictly about data mm-hmm. and uh, statistics with UFOs. Mm-hmm. And then you've got people talking about actual experiences. So kind of mm-hmm. mixing and melding all that research together and mm-hmm. working together instead of apart. You know, mm-hmm. There's so many different factions within these research mm-hmm. communities and people not willing to share their information so it's pretty refreshing to see everyone on the same page at an event like this yeah and i think um you know the, it has that, like a sense of like community everybody's sort of you know, all we're all in it together you know somebody's lecturing um somebody's here for the first time and they want to know what it's all, all about um you know somebody may have a come along because they they know that there's one of their favorite stories is going to be uh, discussed right. so i think you know people have a lot of different motivations for coming to these events <laughs> maybe somebody happened to see a ufo somewhere over michigan last week realized there was a ufo gig coming along oh my god i gotta go and see that you know <laughs> that's a good point yeah. you know you never know who's going to come out of the woodwork no. and have a story to tell that's what i love about these events is mm-hmm. when you're done talking someone comes up to you and yeah. says, i got a story to tell you yeah. so you know it's 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 refreshing mm-hmm. to know that you know it's not just these old cases that we've gone over a million times mm. roswell rendlesham blah 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 mm. there's stuff still going on yeah and um you know sort of the most recent thing in i guess the ufo field lately has been this storm area 51 <laughs> yeah. event that happened mm-hmm. yesterday mm-hmm. have you heard any rumblings about how it i went? haven't but i do have my opinions on it all yeah and yeah. i mean everybody in ufology has heard of area 51 but also everybody just about in the public has heard of Area 51, regardless of whether, you know, they're interested in UFOs or not, people know that Area 51 is like this secret base out somewhere in the desert, and it's to connect with UFOs. Just about everybody knows that, uh, that angle of it all. And, and I understand why people want the answers, because there have been strange lights over Area 51, people claiming to have worked there, and... Um, and said they saw this, they saw that, flying saucers, dead aliens, live aliens, whatever. So it's developed this sort of pop culture um, and, uh, angle, if you like. And it's also become almost like a piece of Americana, you know, yeah. in its own strange way. And, and I think for that reason, it's become sort of a hotbed for people who go along to the to the base and sort of 
test the security personnel and say, you know, basically, how close can I get before I get, you know, <laughs> pulled away in handcuffs right. or whatever. And and people have been arrested, you know, and fined and just thrown in the slammer for 24 hours to teach them a lesson. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, it's I think it's fine to sort of go up to the little alien, you know, and hang out with a bunch of people, talk about Area 51, get some pictures of the mountains and all that. But when people talk about storming the base, I mean, I draw the parallel. What would people say if a group of people got together and said, we're going to storm the Pentagon, you know, and and they actually tried to do it? Well, that would be like a major national security issue if 500 people got together and tried to invade the Pentagon. And I take the view that it's no different, that in today's world, regardless of the fact that you want to find the answers to Area 51, for me, breaking into a US military base is not the way to do it because it's reckless, it's dangerous, and in the the state the world's in now, having people invade a military base could get your head blown off. Oh, absolutely. And there's also the fact, you know, the little-known fact that people um, may not be aware of, or the possibility, not the fact, is that... Who's to say, you know, if this keeps on happening and, you know, there's numerous people involved, well, who's to say that some of those aren't plants from somewhere else? Right. You know, Russia, who knows? I mean, that might sound a bit paranoid, but it would be the perfect place for those people to infiltrate, like, a a UFO group um, of hundreds of people. Right. And take a bunch of pictures, and um, and if they're questioned, you know, oh, you know, I'm Hank from North Dakota, <laughs> when you're actually, you know, Ivan from from <laughs> Moscow or something, right, right. you know. And I mean, we can look at the, the the joke inside on it, but it for me, it comes down to it's almost like um, suggesting that people should break into and invade military bases on U.S. soil. And I I think that, for me, is crossing the line too far. Oh, absolutely. We we live in an age of social networking where Mm. people will do the dumbest things for clicks or a YouTube view or an Instagram like, all these fake things that we've built up to be so much in our human Mm. existence now. Mm. So who's to say that um, one person isn't going to try to run over that gate just for a video well, and that's then get the shot thing. dead. Yeah, that, that's the, the issue I have, you know, and they say, well, most people know that it's just a bit of fun yeah. and most people are probably just going to sit on the desert floor, look at the stars and hope they see something weird. But there's always some guy who takes it too far and that is the person who's going to make the news. Yeah. You know, when they just keep running and running through the desert or whatever, that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's where the damage could occur. Right. So my view is that there's plenty of ways to sort of research and investigate the history of Area 51. And if people come forward, claim to work for them, you know, deeply investigate their story. And is it legitimate? Is it not? Is it somewhere in between? And I think the best way to approach it is to like a journalistic approach. The wrong approach is to try and haul yourself over a fence and just keep on going and going until... What are you going to see? Let's be honest. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I mean, people, a lot of people forget that when you get to like the little alien 
and you get to the you know the points where you've got the security personnel they'll turn you around a lot of people don't realize you've still got like another eight nine ten miles or whatever it is before you actually get to what you would consider to be area 51 you know people think when they get stopped there that's like the start of area 51 but what it really is it's the grabbed land and then you've still got to keep on going for miles and miles. So exactly. that's why it's almost impossible to to get there. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's my view. That do do an investigation from a journalistic perspective, mm-hmm. because if you follow, you know, this sort of storming angle, not only could you get your head blown off, but you know, you follow people might find what I'm going to say now a bit controversial, but I think it's also true. If ufologists start breaking or into military bases or threaten to storm them, well, that could put ufologists on like a national security watch list. Yeah, we all go down because yeah, of one because idiot. somebody, yeah. some stupid guy, decided he was going to be try and be the one who gets to the base and finds the dead aliens and yeah. all this, you know. <laughs> so, but yeah, I haven't actually heard anything. You know, as, as to yeah. what's gone down. I, I've heard rumblings, you know, the turnout was not that good. Mm-hmm. I've heard that there's more people at this event with a, here in Michigan than uh-huh. showed up oh, to the wow. base. You know, so maybe at the end of the day it was pretty anticlimactic, but that's the thing. This was all a joke to begin with. Well, it was, but the important thing is, you know, people make jokes and somebody acts, acts on it now and again. Right. And you only need one person. Exactly. To act on it, and people will remember that. Yeah. They won't remember. It. Oh, it was all a joke. They'll remember the thing that this one person did. That's a so. really, really good point. Well, sort of transitioning. You did mention um, planting people. Mm. You know, this idea of planting people into certain groups or mm. or countries for mm-hmm. information or to influence, and that's kind of the the center of your talk here mm-hmm. at the Michigan Contact event and your new book, mm-hmm. uh, Flying Saucers from the Kremlin. So I'd like to discuss a little bit about that with you now, if you don't mm-hmm. mind, Nick. Um, what made you want to write this book in the first place? Well, over the years, you know, I got snippets here and there, and, and sometimes more, far more than snippets of how the Russians were perceived by U.S. intelligence in the Cold War as trying to infiltrate uh, the United States and you or and manipulating the mindset of the U.S. population and to try and sort of seed and indoctrinate communism into the US and find alternative ways to do it and some of those alternative ways actually involved flying saucers and UFOs in a really weird way yeah um for example in the early 1950s you know we had the whole contactee movement Mm -hmm. the space brothers you know these peace um you know sort of uh friendly peaceful long-haired aliens kind of looking pretty much like us with a few slight differences you know um and typically they would meet people out in desert locations california new mexico arizona utah and so on and you know it's sort of typical day uh day the earth stood still flying saucer comes down and you know these human looking aliens come out and target certain people and say you're going to help us on our on our on our road if you like to um help your planet from destroying itself and so it was very much like um, 
like a like a peaceful kind of approach. It wasn't um, abductions, mm-hmm. you know, where people are traumatized and you know, the memories are wiped and so on. Okay. And a lot of these people kind of went on that path, like probably the most famous one, uh, George Adamski, mm-hmm. whose first book came out. Well, not his first book, but his first nonfiction book. If it was non-fiction. <laughs> yeah, that's a big debate. <laughs> Probably Came correct. out um, in 1953. Now, a lot of people don't know that Adamski, he was heavily involved in sort of um, spiritual mind-body-spirit stuff, going way back to the 1930s, and actually had written a couple of books as well uh, in that kind of theme. Now, when he started to get involved in the UFO subject... Most people probably don't know that he had a deep interest in communism. And in some of his early lectures, he talked about how the aliens, the Space Brothers, were probably communists, which sounds like really weird and crazy. <laughs> but that's what he said. He said that they were probably um, were communist. And then people said, well, what do you think about that? And he said, well, he actually said communism is a good thing. And he said, almost certainly, Russia's going to rule the world for a thousand years and there's going to be peace throughout that period. And he actually said that. That's actually recorded in wow. the FBI's files on Adamski. Mm-hmm. Now, if Adamski was just someone lecturing to five people and somebody's dog, you know, on a Sunday afternoon in a local library, nobody would have cared if it was just him, you know, talking about this. But that's not what happened. His first book, Flying Saucers Have Landed, the, the uh, first publication the 125,000 copies were sold just about yeah I mean it was a huge seller so you've got this guy who's selling his book in six figures of sales and he's talking about how aliens are communists and communism is good yeah and that's why the FBI got involved because their concern was that Adamski whether his claims were real or not the FBI began began to suspect that Adamski was essentially spreading communism, but doing so under a UFO banner. And so, you know, he could kind of go under the radar. Oh, I'm just, you know, doing a, a UFO lecture if the FBI comes along, which they actually did several times they visited him. Oh, wow. And, um, and so, you know, he... His argument was, well, I'm just a UFO researcher. Well, no, actually, you're not. You're a UFO researcher talking to hundreds of thousands of people and spreading communism. That was the FBI's approach, which you can understand. And they actually suspected that, although he obviously wasn't a Russian spy, quote, mm-hmm. they, did, they did suspect on many occasions that he was actually sort of hired or agreed to sort of further this communist angle and to, you know, to target the UFO community, which was actually huge back then because, I mean, some of the conferences like at Giant Rock in California Mm -hmm. where George Van Tassel would put on these contactee events, they had on weekend events of like ten to 12,000 people. Oh, my God. Which, you know, and today we get like three or 400. (laughs) Yeah, so back then you have to sort of look at it from that perspective that... You know, 12,000 people in, say, 1953-54, all of those people listening to communism's great, you know, peace-loving hippie types and all this kind of thing. And you can see how the the big difference between today and now. Back then, ufology was seen not by ufologists but by the FBI and some of the agencies 
as being a potential community that was ripe for manipulation by the Russians. And so the FBI watched Adamski for a long, long time. Um, in around about 1982, they declassified about 75 pages of, um, of, of files, of FBI files on Adamski. And by probably, I think, about 2000, I think it was about 150 pages, the... The, the final file, so as far as we know at least, was actually declassified about three months ago. And that's just over 400 pages. Oh a surveillance paper, um, document on Adamski, 400 pages long, spanning about 1949 to about the time of his death, 1967. <laughs> so, you know, you can see how easily and, and why the FBI had these concerns. Now, whether or, he, whether or not he actually was, you know, being used by the Russians as a, as a means to try and spread communism, or was it just him saying it himself? Mm -hmm. We don't know. But the important thing is, the FBI did recognise his, um, his ability to, uh, if you like, um, reel people in and say, this is good. That's right. bad. So that was really the kind of the start of it all. The when U.S. intelligence sort of started to get their head around, wow, you know, there are real UFOs up there, but there's a possibility using like psychological warfare and disinformation that the Russians are now using this real phenomenon as a means to kickstart communism within the UFO field, which was important because at that time I says it was a huge movement. Yeah. You know, it I mean, wasn't we're the Cold War yeah. height of it. Yeah. And they, they and they tried a lot of other different obscure ways as well. Mm -hmm. You know, ufology was just just one of Just them. one way. Yeah. Now in terms of you said we're not just talking using psychological warfare in terms of false information or disinformation mm. or just, you know, pure fantasy. We're talking also actual events. I mean, you, you even talk in the book about going back to Roswell, mm. being sort of in Kenneth Arnold even, being mm. a part of this manipulation that the Russians may have been doing on the US. Could you maybe touch on that? Yeah, I mean there's this, I mean, there's this very strange story concerning Roswell. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, the, the idea that supposedly the Russians faked the Roswell event as a means to sort of create hysteria in the US. Now, it's a very bizarre and extremely controversial story, and it comes from a, a woman named Annie Jacobson, who wrote a book on Area 51 and various other books, and, and uh, also on, like, uh, Operation Paperclip, mm -hmm. when they brought the German scientists over at the, at the end of the Second World War. And her Area 51 book is actually a really good book, I mean, it's a really thick book, you know, a long book, and, it, and it's filled with a lot of fascinating secret material on Area 51. But it, con it contains this bizarre story of how supposedly Joseph Stalin um, did a deal with Joseph Mengele, who was one of the most deranged, evil men who ever lived, um, who did all these terrible experiments on um, people in the, in the Second World War. The story is that supposedly Mengele had the ability to take a number of children and physically alter them to make them look like what we would call aliens today. 
as well as supposedly um, genetically or physically altering these children, the, the story is that the Horton brothers, who were aviation um, people who designed a lot of futuristic-looking aircraft, supposedly they were brought in to design the craft. And the plan, allegedly was that this particular craft with these strange-looking kids inside would be remotely piloted from Russia to the United States. And it was the stories, it was supposed to come down in like a highly populated part of the US, but as it was going over New Mexico, something went wrong, it may have been a storm or a lightning strike, and it came down in Lincoln County, New Mexico, um, not too far from the town of Roswell, about an hour's drive. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And so, in other words, the plan to have the aircraft come down, these altered kids come out... And then everybody would say, oh, my God, the Martians are invading. And it would sort of be like a parallel to the Orson Welles story right. of um, War of the Worlds, you know, when people who listened to Orson Welles' radio um, re- recording of this in 1939, people who turned on the radio halfway through or whatever thought the Martians really were mm-hmm. invading. They didn't realise it was a radio show. So that was this supposedly the inspiration for all this. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Now, the the story gets sort of more controversial when, if you look at it, the idea of having one futuristic aircraft being remotely flown from all the way from Russia by another one, I don't think that kind of technology was around then. You know, just to, to strap four kids in a weird-looking aircraft and then remotely pilot it all the way from Russia to the US. Now, on top of that, um, and this is actually in the book, it talks about um, how they found Russian writing inside. And that's probably the stories, you know, that that inspired the the tales of, like, hieroglyphics on the... Found uh, on the craft. Yeah, but, But, I mean, but any kind of expert on 
you know, Russia and Russian language would quickly say that it was Russian. And the idea that the Russians, you know, um, were in cahoots with the aliens and... I mean, the, the idea that... Just the, just the idea that they would put, you know, Russian writing yeah. in the craft makes no sense if you're trying to pull it off as being extraterrestrial. Really? Yeah, so that yeah. doesn't make much sense. <laughs> so my view on all of this is that if you read Annie Jacobson's book, as I said, it's a really good book, mm -hmm. and I, I would recommend it to everyone who wants to learn about Area 51. It's not like a sensationalised book. It's a good, solid, non-fiction book. But it has this Roswell story inserted into it. And I think possibly people out at Area 51 working there now thought, well, you know, this book's got a lot of top-secret stuff, you know, that we don't want getting out. How about we insert a really sensational story and have the press predominantly focusing on this controversial story about Roswell? And the, the story that was... Um, about this, you know, this Russian Roswell thing was given to um, Annie Jacobson um, by a guy named Alfred O'Donnell, uh, who was, um, he had ties to Area 51 and the military intelligence community, and he provided that story. Now, my view is that it was done deliberately to, because it was such a sensationalised story, I think the hope was that the media would forget most of the good stuff on Area 51 that was in the book and focus on Roswell. And for the most part, that's what happened. A yeah. lot of the, the, co the coverage and publicity for the book focused on Roswell and this Russian story. So I think it was designed to veer the book away and the media away from the legitimate real material. Right. So um, if, there are, if there was any truth to it, you know, that would be like... A psychological warfare manipulation involving a bogus story, but also creating, you know, literally a craft and literally creating aliens in a very strange way. Yeah. So I think, but but again, that the, much of the story falls down. So I actually think, you know, it really probably was a fabrication designed to, as I said, steer people away mm -hmm. from. What's, what's actually going on in Area 51 and have them getting all excited about this, this Russian story. Yeah. And I'm sure from the Russians' perspective, they were probably quite happy, and they probably still are, to have people think, or some people think, that um, they were responsible for Roswell. You know, it kind of beefs up their image from their, Absolutely. From their perspective, you know. Right, you know, and, you know, you take, for instance, um, you know, I'm not comparing... All of Russia to terrorists. I'm not no, that no. ura American yeah. to say something like that. But you know, a terrorist group will take any opportunity to take the the responsibility for something. Mm -hmm. You know, say some yeah. some uh, pissed off kid in mm. in America does a pipe bomb in the middle of Times mm. Square in New York. Of course, some terrorist group is going to say we were responsible mm. for that, you know. Yeah. And again, just that idea of psychological mm. warfare and, and fear. So, of course, the Russians are going to say, mm -hmm. yeah, we totally concocted this genius plan mm -hmm. and um, changed ufology, or not just ufology, national security mm. in the United States forever. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, one of the things about ufology and what I've found over the years and the decades is that a lot of people in the field are very susceptible to sensational stories and 
leaked documents, things like that. And so many people, you know, view these documents as real because he's got a top secret stamp and the story sounds really cool. And, and my view is, well, how do you actually know this is real? Just because it's a photo, I mean, it's a photocopy probably for the most part. And just because somebody got their hands on a 1950s typewriter, put a stamp on, doesn't mean it's real. It just means somebody has gone to a fairly good length to try and make something look like the real deal. Right. But the problem is within ufology, so many people want these documents to be real. I know they do, because when people get disappointed about a, in a, a fake UFO document, if they're disappointed by it, that means they wanted it to be real. Oh, yeah. Because you're not going to get disappointed if you're just blasé about it or whatever. Right. So, and that, and that is a good pointer, because it, it demonstrates how easy it is to manipulate UFO uh, people, because yeah. it, that whole X Files, I want to believe factor, just plays into it all, right. and um, and we all get you know questionable stuff now and again, and mysterious characters, you know, want to speak to you, and I always tell people, well, yeah, follow it, but don't go into it with your head thinking, okay, this is the real deal. Just see where it goes. Maybe mm-hmm. it is the real deal. Maybe it's going to turn out to be garbage. Maybe it's going to be hazy somewhere between the two. And then reveal your results. Um, But don't get overly excited just because somebody says they once worked on an alien autopsy. Maybe they did. But then instead of getting all excited and telling everybody before you've done the investigation, get them to tell you the whole story, research it, or give me the name of the other doctors, you know, that kind of thing. And I, th- I think that's sometimes the problem. Ufology is so easily to mould and manipulate because so often people in the field jump the gun yeah. and they put a story out before it's finished researched and everybody then jumps onto it and you've got the hoaxers who said, oh, yeah, I worked on that programme as well. And, you know, but they, no one else had talked about it until you come out with it, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, the yeah. The... I think one of the things that really stuck out to me, you and I were discussing this yesterday, when UFO researchers, uh, we've we've all been there. Yeah. Someone approaches you and says, I've got this groundbreaking information mm. that I want to share with you and only mm. you. And you brought up something that I'd never really thought about either, is not so much who is this person, what is the information they're giving you, but why? Why are they coming mm. to you yeah. specifically? And I found yeah. that really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to sort of look at the bigger picture of things, you know, the the why and when of how you got this story. And I mean, I always say to people, well, is there anything else that you're looking into at this particular time? And, um, you know, maybe the person was looking into, this is hypothetical now, but, you know, somebody's looking into the history of atomic energy in the US and then some of the old guy comes along, hey, I've heard about you, be doing this research, I can help you. But that old person may actually be inserted to actually find out, well, why is this person looking into this whole story, you know, of atomic energy history in in the US? So sometimes, you know, again, the UFO subject can be used like that if somebody thinks you're doing something else. Well, let's tease them and... You know, we'll we'll learn what they actually really are doing. You right. know, it's kind of like the dangling carrots. You know, give me something, and yeah. then yeah, yeah, and yeah. You have all these 
stories of you know the Paul Benowitzes and the yeah. um, you know using people yeah. to see how the public will react. A lot of people yeah. think the stories of Bob Lazar were another mm-hmm. attempt to yeah. throw a couple carrots out there, see how people yeah. react to the information. Well, I mean, you know, on the issue of, of Bob Lazar, I mean, 30 years, well, more than 30 years, 31, 32 years now since he, he came out and, and talked about all this, I mean, it's still debated, you know. It's, it hasn't gone away regardless yeah. of whether you buy into it or don't. But again, I mean, for me, I think whatever the reason was, that that whole plan, if you like, the whole program was was initiated to achieve the the end game that it has achieved. Now, why it was done, I don't know. Um, now, I don't believe Lazar was a liar. Like you know, there are people in ufology. Uh, who do think he's just an outright liar. I remember Stan Friedman famously said, this is bunk, bunk, bunk. He said it three times like that. This is bunk, bunk, bunk. And he had no time for Bob Lazar at all. But to me, Lazar doesn't come across like your average hoaxer. You know, I mean, you think about it. 88, when he came out under an alias, when he started doing a bit of radio. 89, we got his name. And now, you know, it's almost um, 2020. And if although his autobiography is coming out very soon, the fact is, pretty much up until the last couple of years, he didn't do anything with that story. He told people, this is what happened, like it or not, and if you don't like it, whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, he did, at that time, 88, 89, 90, when he was, like, really huge, he didn't write a book, he didn't have a movie... He did a few lectures, but he wasn't like someone who was on like a a seventy city yeah. um, tour of the U.S. No, he was you doing know. a very underground. Yeah, and- now that that isn't really how the average hoaxer comes across in ufology. I mean, I've met, unfortunately, you know, more than a few hoaxers over the years, and you know, money comes up almost immediately. A lot of stuff that can't be proved, and when the initial core story sort of goes quiet after they finish their lecture circuit thing for three months then they say oh you know I've had some more experiences so they can get back on the lecture circuit mm-hmm. you know that's how so many ufologists um, excuse me UFO witnesses I mean um, who have, may have fabricated something that's how they work but Lazar didn't work like that it really was well I've told, my, I've told you my story if you don't like it and you don't believe me, there's the front door, you know. Yeah. And um, and that's not how most hoaxers have, have worked. And, right. um, and I mean, if he was a hoaxer in that period, 89, 90, he could have, you know, sort of um, dominated ufology for years. Absolutely. Lectures, conferences, TV shows, movies, mm-hmm. the whole thing. And I don't see what he gained back then for doing that because he he didn't really gain anything other than notoriety and people saying you're full of crap you know so um, so that's why I think he was part of it but he was like an innocent patsy (laughs) used as a means to for whatever reason I think somebody probably in Area 51 wanted to get the story out that, that yes there are aliens at Area 51 
Now, why somebody might do that, that's a big question. Mm. I think the, the possibility could have been, you know, I mean, this is hypothetical, but maybe if there were sort of fears that there were Russian agents in the US and looking into our defence systems and, or, you know, pretending to be tourists, that kind of thing. Well, if you put a story out, this, there's something really weird and sensational is going on out at Air 51 and they get someone involved who can essentially vindicate it like Lazar. And, and you've got all these, these Russian spies you know, looking into it. And because it's so sensational, there's no way they're not going to invest, the, the Russians aren't going to look into it. Well, maybe that's like, just like you know, the fishermen reeling in the fish. But U.S. intelligence reels in the Russian spies because they're all hovering around Area 51 because they've heard all these stories about sensational alien technology and weapons and, oh, my God, the, the Americans have got this and we haven't. We need to find out what's going on. Yeah, and if I recall, weren't some of our first images ever of Area 51 from Russian yeah, satellites? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So okay. the Russians knew something was going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if they were trying to find out more and more, somebody in Area 51 might have said, well, let's give them the ultimate fish in the river, you yeah. know, and, just, and they'll, they'll catch it, yeah. and then we'll catch them. Isn't you know, it so. funny? It's Let's say for just a moment that the Russians were responsible for Roswell. Mm. Whatever happened there crashed. Mm. Whatever was involved with that was brought to Area 51, <laughs> and now, in return of them trying mm. to create a hysteria in America... Now we're creating a hysteria for Russia, yeah. thinking we have the salient technology. Yeah, and I think I think so many people in, in ufology don't recognize those weird sides to the yeah. phenomenon or the subject. You know, they think it's, it's black and white, it's aliens, it's government cover-ups, and, 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 it, and that is, you know, that is a, a major part of it. But so many people don't recognize the the full nature and the scope of how the subject and the people in it can be so easily manipulated and sent down this path and that path, not even realising that somebody's pulling their strings and yeah. um, all they see is the excitement factor. And yeah. it is exciting, but you can't just focus on that factor. You've got to you know, tackle every aspect of whatever it is you're doing. Right, right. Well, I knew I knew we could connect Area 51 to Russia somehow, so I'm <laughs> glad we found our way around uh -huh. that one. Um, sort of wrapping up that this part of it, Nick, um, like the history mm -hmm. of Russia and um, and even America influencing its own people mm -hmm. when it comes to the UFO topic. You brought up something in the book, um, this strategy to diffuse the UFO hysteria mm -hmm. using the Walt Disney Corporation. Oh, yeah. That was a really interesting mm -hmm. part of ufology that a lot of people don't really know about. Could you maybe sort of wrap in this section up, talk about yeah. that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, both sides recognised the, the way in which the UFO subject could be manipulated as a means to alter people's views on just about anything, really. But the, the Robertson panel was this prestigious panel set up in the early 1950s, essentially to not so much investigate UFOs, as sightings and encounters, but how predominantly the phenomenon could be used from psychological perspectives. Mm -hmm. And one of the fears was that the you know the Russians would use psychological warfare. 
And so the plan with the Robertson panel was to sort of try and diffuse the hysteria and the mania and the interest that was developing in terms of UFOs. And they had a lot of strange plans. One of them was to sort of enlist the help of the Walt Disney Corporation and have them make sort of little movies, um, kind of, you know, putting it in like a tongue-in-cheek perspective, but also, you know, making the point that, well, there's not much to this really at all. It's just a bit of entertainment and people like it and, you know, pop culture and diffuse the idea that, you know, there are Russia or there are, there are communist aliens coming <laughs> or that there are just aliens coming, period. Yeah. You know, that the idea was to just try and lay this all to rest and people will just go back to, you know, their regular lives before flying saucers surfaced in 1947. Mm -hmm. But again, the, the Robertson panel very quickly realised that, you know, just with a few tweaks and turns here and there, you know, they could actually... Um, alter the mindset to a degree and I mean if you think about it um, whether this was due to the Robertson panel or not but although the UFO subject definitely obviously continued after 1953-54 when all this was going on but the political side of it with like the Space Brothers you know the, the contactees Adamski and the FBI watching all these people that really did go away after like the late 50s you know and it was all just about aliens and ufos but if you go back to that 50s period it was filled with politics and just about all the contactees had files open on them you know george george van tassel's file who created the um, integratron yeah and um lived out at giant rock his files um his fbi files more than 400 pages wow. Gray Barker, um, his was about 75 pages. George Hunt Williamson, his about 65 pages. And it goes on and on. So there was this period, for sure, sort of 47 till about 59, 58, that politics and the Russians and all this stuff, you know, was, was going on. And then, to a large degree, in terms of the FBI angle and the Russian angle went away so you know you could make a case that part of it that may have been influenced by you know people like the Russian um, excuse me like the uh, the Robertson panel but you know it obviously didn't take away the UFO subject right it just meant right. politics largely went out of it yeah but although the politics side went out of it, you know, the disinformation and the counterintelligence programs against the Russians, that didn't go away. Yeah. But the, you know, the idea of people talking to communist aliens, that did kind of, you know, sort of go away, um, sort of turn of the 60s thereabouts. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's, it's fascinating to think of how you can use the UFO topic to mold and manipulate a certain narrative, mm. you could look at it now with this whole To the Stars Academy thing. Mm. You know, they, they've got all these former intelligence officers, counterterrorism people, military people, telling the public these things are being seen by our military, mm. our Navy, our Air Force, and they, are, they pose a national security mm. threat. Mm. So right now you've got the most visible UFO group out there to the mm. Stars Academy hitting every major media news mm. outlet, reaching the biggest public platform we've really mm. had in the UFO field for a while, saying 
these things are dangerous. Mm -hmm. We need our military to take care of this. Mm -hmm. And then, boom, I'm sure our military budgets are just skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a good point because I think, you know, if you look at the history of ufology in terms of the U.S. government, you have Project Sign, Project Grudge, Robertson Panel, and Blue Book. And, you know, we were told that after 69, it was all canned, you know, it was all over. And we learned, you know, at the end of 2017, it wasn't over. Um, And I think why that whole time frame, late 2017, early 2018, was important was because, you know, the debunkers, sceptics said, well, the government's not involved in ufology anymore. But it actually was, you know. And I think, well, I don't think I know, you know, that the, the mainstream media... In New York Times, CNN, everybody covered this story. And they still cover it now when bits and pieces of new material comes out. So I think regardless of how much research is going on with this program, I think another part of it is, is to see what the response is. And not just on the, you know, the five or 6,000 people in ufology, but also the general public and the media. And see, I see how all three communities, if you like, respond to this, and so I think that's part of it. It's it's all. I think it is legitimate in UFO investigations, but it's also like um, a psychological uh, study yeah. of the mindset of what different people think about this program, mm-hmm. and is it affecting them? Are they thinking about it? So there's there's way more to it. <clears throat> There's way more to it, I think. And although I'm not a big fan of um, disclosure, mainly because, it, for me, it's almost like the, the story of the boy who cried wolf. Mm-hmm. You know, he cried too many times and nobody came. Yeah. And I, I think that, that's the main issue I have with disclosure, is not the, the concept of disclosure. I got tired of hearing certain people at conferences saying, I've, I've got a high-ranking source who told me, you know, that disclosure's coming next Thursday at 2.45 after whatever show's played out on this particular TV channel. Now, I'm being a bit sarcastic there, you know, but, I mean, you get the point. People yeah. in the disclosure movement were saying, I've, I've got a contact and I think it's coming out this year or it's coming out later this year. If not, it's the year after. And that that's what sort of pissed me off with the whole disclosure movement. I was like, if you've got nothing to say that's solid... Well, go away and come back when you for sure know that disclosure is coming. So that is my issue. Now, could disclosure happen? Well, it could. But for me, it's, it's been smeared with all these um, stories of, yeah, it's coming next week, it's coming next month, it's coming next year. But in saying that, again, I mean, there could be legitimate disclosure and we all finally get the truth. Or it could be like a fabricated, manipulated disclosure where, for example, you know, people believe that something has happened when it could have been kind of like with the War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. You know, with, that was just a entertainment, but people bought into it. Yeah. You know, I sometimes wonder if disclosure might be like a fabricated thing that would be a way to take away more of our rights. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody sees a fleet of UFOs over each city. Yeah. Who's to say they were created on that star system yeah maybe they were created by us as a means to create fear you know we all get up one morning and let's say you know there's a 200 foot wide saucer over 20 u.s cities 
That's all. That's all it would take to put the country in a state of like, um, like national security issues would just soar. You know, yeah, and, and I mean that might sound. Rights, yeah. I mean, some people might think that sounds like really conspiratorial and paranoid, which to a degree it is. But you know, it, it would not take any time to, you know, create a few sophisticated, weird-looking spaceship-type things. Have them hovering each over a bunch of cities, and you know the 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 country being locked down mm-hmm. within hours. Yeah, it really would. It's so it's so maybe yeah. disclosure, you know, and then you you've got some prominent figures saying yes, we, the aliens have finally arrived. We don't know what's going on. They're just sitting there in the sky, and we've got to do something about it. So we're going to initiate new national security laws because we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And before you know it, it's like, you know, more rights are gone. Right. By more surveillance. More, more surveillance. surveillance. By doing nothing right. other than fly a few craft in the sky, which yeah. gets everybody in a state of, of whatever. Mm-hmm. So. It's really interesting, the idea of just the psychological warfare that's been enacted probably on both ends, mm-hmm. either America or Russia. And I think the book sort of encapsulates uh, this idea, This you, you bookend it so well in the beginning and the end, of um, going from one, one time in history when this could have happened up until now where we have Russian meddling happen, mm-hmm. happening in our everyday elections yes. here in America. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of want to ask you, closing this out, Nick, what has the internet done in this new age to to really show that uh, it's so damn easy to influence people now? Well, w- one of the problems is with the internet is that I think so many people just, you know, they read the headline or the first couple of paragraphs and, you know, it could be like a multi-page article, you know, done by a, a reputable news uh, outlet. Yeah. But people say oh, I haven't got time but and they just read the headline whatever and so they don't sometimes that happens I think people I do don't that get all the time I can yeah. admit that yeah. yeah I mean that does happen and I think there's also this tendency when people read in ufology they read stuff on the internet they think well it's on the internet so it's real <laughs> you know that, that does happen oh yeah I mean yeah. it does and so you know I think we need to be more careful and tentative about what we say and when we say it, and that's like we find you know if I write a book like that one, yeah. you know that took about eighteen months from beginning to end to get all the data, research, interview people, and then to be published. And in that period, I didn't tell anyone about the book, and I always do that because something could happen in that period that could blow one of the cases completely in a different direction. Mm-hmm. You know, and if I start talking about it too soon, you know, then... So that's why I think it's important to do all the research and stay as quiet as you can. And then when you've made a case, then put it out. And I think if more people did that, we would have a community that isn't, unfortunately, infil- well, not infiltrated, but filled with, you know, controversial people hoaxers, somebody who we find out, you know, spent five years in the slammer or whatever for this, yeah. you know, yeah. or they got a background in this. And, you know, we could have, we could have, uh, we could have wrapped some of these people up 
if somebody had instead of following their story follow their background and if it turns out to be um, legitimate that's great if it turns out you know they were busted for this and busted for that there's a good chance their story's bogus right. but you know we need to focus on the alternative sides I think of, the, of ufology to get some of the answers or, or why government agencies are looking into things you know and, um, yeah. and it's not always for the reasons that it isn't always because they're looking into aliens yeah sometimes it's politics it's mind manipulation um, uh, of belief systems mm-hmm. and then it all comes into play and um, and sometimes I think people just don't realise the sheer depth that sometimes that that sort of connection of different things come to a connection yeah it's um, and it's sort of a fascinating aspect that actually tells us more about people and UFO and the UFO community than it actually does the UFO phenomenon itself. <laughs> Good <so>. point. <laughs> yeah, it's putting that mirror back on ourselves mm-hmm. often, I think. Yeah. That's that's a really good way to look at it. Well, can you tell us a little, Nick, about uh, what's, what comes next for you and uh, where we can find all your work? Well, yeah, the, the new book, Flying Saucers from the Kremlin, um, you can get that off the shelves in Barnes & Noble, or they can order it in in a couple of days. Uh, you can get it from Amazon as well. And um, the next book I've got coming out is a little bit of a departure. It comes out in April of next year, and it's called Assassinations. And it's, a, it's like a, an A to Z of uh, historical assassinations throughout history. So it actually goes back to, like, the Egyptian times, the Romans. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And then through to, you know, English kings and queens in the Middle Ages, and then through to, like, Abraham Lincoln, and then through, of course, to the 20th century, JFK. Yeah. Uh, RFK, Martin Luther King, things like that. So it's um, there's about sort of seventy or eighty assassinations looked at, and the different theories who may have been behind them and things like that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So and yeah. That, there's actually some UFO stuff in there. People in ufology okay. who've died under mysterious circumstances, mm-hmm. and um, so it's. Um, all conspiracy stuff. All, no, is this um, all deaths? All deaths. Yeah, <laughs> probably the most morbid book. Yeah, yeah. Yet, right? <laughs> is this part of um, the series that you do? Because uh, I know you've done other books that are like you know fifty cases of this or that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's done by Visible Ink Press. Oh, cool. And, um, yeah. The like flying saucers from the Kremlin. That's just written in a regular style. Right. But Visible Ink Press, they have their own way of doing all their books and they're all 400 pages long 150,000 words and sometimes they're done in A to Z style and sometimes it's chronological and things like that yeah. but they're, they're sort of written from like a, an encyclopedia type perspective not where it's like dull and dusty right. to read right. you know but, it, but it's the style is where you know you could if it's A to Z you know you could look up K for Kennedy right. John F you right. know and then you could jump back to the start of the book for um, like Julius Caesar, that kind of yeah. thing. So you're not forced, in other words, to go from page one to four hundred, which can be a bit daunting. For mm-hmm. so, you know, it's daunting for me sometimes. You know, when <laughs> I'm reading a huge book, it's like, oh my god, I'm going to get through this. You yeah. know, yeah. Um, but some, I think people like it when you know, they just take the book to the beach or whatever, and take the Kindle to the beach and. Um, and just dip into it yeah. here and there. You're not, you know, it's not like you've got to keep 
going from page one to four hundred. And I, I, I actually like that style. Me too. You I know? mean, I remember reading your book where you recorded a UFO event from every day of the week throughout oh, yeah. the year. Yeah. And that was so cool because yeah. you literally could wake up every morning with your coffee yeah. and be like, what happened in ufology today? Yeah. So yeah. I think it's a really mm. fascinating structure um, that anyone in the public, not just those mm. interested in UFOs, yeah. can really digest. You know. Well, actually, with that book, The 365 Days of UFOs, a few people actually said to me, yeah, they didn't know each other, but uh, they, they said the, what the first one they did was actually see what happened on their birthday. Oh, of course. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> which makes sense. You know, everybody would probably do that. Yeah, so. yeah. I'm going to have to go back and look at what happened on yeah. August 8th. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nick, thank you so much Very for joining welcome, me today, man. That was All an right. absolute pleasure. That's it for this week's episode. Be sure to check out the prolific Nick Redfern's collection of books at any bookstore or online. And be sure to get Flying Saucers in the Kremlin right now through Lisa Hagen Books and on Amazon. You may have seen me put a call out for this on Facebook or Twitter recently. That's right. It is time once again for another volume of Witness Accounts. If you have a compelling UFO sighting, encounter, or experience you'd like to share on the show, this is your chance. These episodes consist of only listener accounts, and they are by far some of the most popular episodes to date. So if you'd like to be a part of it and to discuss further and submit your account, reach out to me personally on Facebook, Twitter, or use the contact tab on the website, somewhereintheskies.com. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review Somewhere in the Skies on Apple Podcasts, your Android apps, or wherever you get the show. It helps tremendously. We're on Twitter at Somewhere Skies and Instagram at Somewhere Skies Pod. All past episodes, articles, and the official Somewhere in the Skies store is all available on the website. Again, that's somewhereintheskies.com. I'll see you here next week for an exclusive interview with the man, the myth, the weirdo, John E.L. Tenney. Get ready. And remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching Somewhere in the Skies. Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.